All right. Thanks for clapping for me. I really appreciate that. That was a great intro. No, we do love Rev Kids, and I know that's why you're clapping because we have an amazing not only Rev Kids staff at all of our locations, but our team members, and then your amazing kids. Uh, it really is a joy. You know, the mission of our church, Love Jesus, Grow People, doesn't just apply to adults. And so, what happens in kids and students is not childcare or babysitting. It is the mission of our church being lived out at different age groups. And so, that's why we have one mission, and in it, and kids and students form is Love Jesus, Grow Kids. Love Jesus Grow students because we want them to learn about Jesus on their level. And we just believe that, you know, boring them is a sin and we want to engage them, engage their hearts. And that's why we've created those environments because we want them to learn about Jesus. We want them to grow. And so maybe you have kids that haven't been a part of Rev Kids yet. Maybe you've just been coming and kind of checking us out in the main gathering, but we want you to know about Rev Kids. But also maybe you want to serve. You're interested in learning more about our Rev Kids ministry. That's why we wanted to highlight it there. And I honestly think it's one of the best parts about our church because, um, again, if you can get a, a child's heart, all the stats show if you can get a child's heart early, then they will not depart from that later on. And so we love kids, and that's why we wanted to highlight that for you today. Now, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. We are continuing in this series, The Gospel According to John. And as always, before we jump in to the message, pray with me, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and not just here, but in our kids and students' environments as well, God, where our mission simply is to love Jesus and then grow. But God, we know as 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, you are the one who gives the growth. We plant other people water, God, but you give the growth. And so we ask you today to do that, to grow us. And for some, that will mean God trusting in Jesus for the very first time. So God, we ask you to overcome their resistance to you and open their eyes and their ears to see and know the truth so that they can receive Jesus. But then those of us who know you, God, we still live in this body of sin and flesh. And so we still wrestle and struggle. And so God, we ask you today to empower us as we're going to see in John chapter 14 to obey your commands. And God has always helped me to communicate this in a way that honors you, first and foremost, because that's what we're here for but then two is helpful to us. So fill us now with your spirit, God, enables to see and to hear and to know. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a kind of a cliche phrase or saying within Christianity that gets repeated a lot. And by cliche, I mean, you know, it's kind of hokey. It's, and, and I think it's trying to communicate something good, but I've come to understand that it's really incomplete. In fact, I have said this phrase before when I was younger, but this phrase, I think, creates this kind of false dichotomy that is not intentional in the saying, but I think it is a result, and if we're not careful, can lead to kind of a fallout of what I, I, I don't think Jesus wants us to have or to see. And the phrase is this. You may have heard it before. The phrase is, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a, anybody know? So you've heard it. All right. It's a relationship. And, and the reason why I say that's a cliche phrase is because, again, I think people are trying to communicate something good about Christianity, that it is a relationship, but in so doing, I've come to understand that you kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And so to kind of frame up our conversation today, I'm going to use this phrase as a way to intro to show that I think that the phrase is incomplete and a better way to say it. So if you're taking notes, you can see this on the screen. The wrong way to say it is what I just said, this phrase, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And what I'm just calling simply the better way or the right way is Christianity isn't just a religion. I added two words to it. It isn't just a religion. It's also a relationship. Now, before you throw tomatoes or stones or whatever, let me unpack why I think this. The concept of a religion, if you just look up the definition of what a religion is, just basically speaking, a religion is a set of beliefs and therefore practices or behaviors that a group of people follow. 
So you have a group of people that believe and then practice or behave certain things. And so by definition, a very simple thing is Christianity is a religion because we have a set of beliefs. There's things that you have to believe in order to be a Christian. And then because of that, there are certain behaviors or practices that the Bible commands for us. And so when it comes to religion, very simply speaking, religion has commandments, things that we should do. And so therefore, I think the, the phrase, the cliche phrase, Christianity isn't a religion, even though it's trying to emphasize one thing, it underemphasizes another thing in that we do have beliefs. We do have behaviors. And so to say Christianity isn't a religion is to miscommunicate it. It is a religion. And I want you to understand that. Christianity is a religion. By definition, it is. In fact, it is one of two largest religions on the planet today. Almost two billion people claim to believe Christianity or call themselves Christians. And that's Catholic, Protestants all together. So Christianity, by definition, is a religion because we have commandments. But here's the point. Christianity isn't just a religion. It isn't just a religion. It's also a relationship. Because see, what makes Christianity different than any other religion, notice how I'm speaking here. It is a religion, but it's different than any other religion. It's not because we don't have commands, because we do. We have commands. But what makes Christianity different than any other religion is we have, by the grace of God, the power to obey the commands, which no other religion has. Every religion on the planet has commandments. Every religion on the planet has belief systems, has practices that we should know, okay, that person is this because they do this. So Christianity has those things, but what makes us different is it is a religion, watch this, powered by a relationship. Now let's get into John chapter 14 so I can explain to you from Jesus's words what I'm talking about. Verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my what? Let's try that again. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond when I ask you to, all right? If you love me, you will keep my what? Come on, one more time. If you're watching online, Jasper, everybody, I want you to say this, all right? Because this is when you cringe, because I want you to understand we got commandments, we are a religion, all right? If you love me, you will keep my what? There we go. You will keep my commandments. So Jesus has commandments. But look at this, verse 16, and... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, let's stop and chat here. You know that we don't typically start sentences with a conjunction, right? Some people say that's not, you know, proper etiquette. But obviously, Jesus did it, so we'll allow it. So he starts this with a conjunction. And those of you who know conjunctions, conjunction, junction, what's your function? yes. So watch this, in these two sentences is the essence of what I was saying at the beginning. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he does have commandments. And I think we do a disservice to all of us when we overemphasize the relationship part and underemphasize the commandments part because what we can do unintentionally is create a bunch of people that think that because they have a relationship with Jesus, they can do whatever they want. See, that's an unintentional consequence. And there's a lot of preachers out there that will preach this and will say, well, Jesus, he got the most mad at the religious people. See, Jesus is anti-religion. He's against religion. And I would hate to tell you that Jesus isn't against religion. In fact, Jesus himself was very religious, very religious. 
By whatever definition you want to put religion or religious, whether it's activities or whatever, Jesus was very religious. In fact, the Bible says he was the ideal perfect Jew. He was the most Jewish person ever. He perfectly obeyed the Jewish law or what we would call the Old Testament law or just God's law. And the idea that Jesus fought against religious leaders, watch this, wasn't because he came to overthrow religion or overthrow the law. In fact, Jesus himself said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. What Jesus fought about with the religious leaders is how they did religion as a show. They did it to show that they were more holy than they actually were. They just tried to heap up obedience on all these commands showing, hey, I'm better than you because I follow all the law. And what Jesus was saying is, listen, none of you follow the law perfectly. You follow this one, you follow that one, but you forget this one. Therefore, you're a sinner just like everybody else. So Jesus wasn't anti-religious, but he was anti-shallow religion, you could say. He was anti the concept that I could somehow earn my way to God by being religious. And this is what I'm getting at. Jesus has commandments. And if we follow Jesus, if we claim to love Jesus, he clearly says we will obey his commandments. This is a religion. But, another conjunction, or should I say and, he will give us the power to do it. See, that's what makes Christianity a different religion. Jesus starts the second sentence with a conjunction so that you can't get too far from understanding. If you love me, you will obey his commandments and, and he will give you another helper to help you obey those commandments. See, that is what makes Christianity different. As the famous theologian said in the third century, which was very controversial at the time, and I don't understand why, but Augustine prayed, God, command what you will, but enable what you command. See, the Bible says God has the ability to command what he, whatever he wills. He's God. He's the one that makes the rules. As we said a few weeks ago, he's the one that determines truth. But what makes our religion different than any other religion is we don't just have truth. Watch this, church. We have grace. And grace enables truth. Grace is the power behind truth. And the power comes through the presence of the person, I got a lot of peace here, baby, of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17. He says, even the spirit of what? Truth. See grace and truth? Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now let's chat about this. In this set of verses, there's two times that he uses the word with. He says, I'll give you another helper who will be with you forever and then he says, the spirit of truth dwells with you and will be in you. So those two words, with, in English, same word. In Greek, two different words. Two different words for, for with, which this is why I think it's important to understand the original languages because sometimes things are lost in translation. We just think, oh, it's the same word. But let me explain these two words to you. The first one, the first with, is the Greek word, you actually know this word, or probably know this word, is the Greek word meta. And yes, that is now currently the parent company of Facebook. If you pay attention to business or social media at all, it's interesting. The concept meta. And technology companies are spending billions upon billions of dollars to build out what is called the metaverse which is basically an online reality, an online world. 
So you got this metaverse, which is out there. No one can really define it. And you got the universe, which is in here. And this word with meta literally means after. And so the concept of meta means after. Something comes after something else. So in a theological sense, what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm here now. And if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. But I'm going to give you another helper. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you another helper. And he's going to be after me. He's meta. So Jesus was meta before meta was cool. Meta just means after. What's really interesting to me, and you can go look this up later on, but I promise you this is true. The concept of metaphysics. I don't know how much you get into science and that kind of stuff, but when I was in high school, my favorite subject of all subjects was physics. I loved physics. My head football coach was my teacher, and don't believe, like, that's why you loved it, because he gave you a pass. No, homeboy was smart. He had like a 35 on the ACT. He didn't pull any punches on us. But I love physics. Physics is the study of motion. It's the study of energy and force. Basically speaking, physics is the study of how this universe works. It's the concept of change, how change, force, energy, things come about. And there was a Greek philosopher named Aristotle, you probably heard of him before, who wrote a whole series of books called Physics. And he was discussing at the time, and this was thousands of years ago, discussing his theories of movement, energy, how this universe works. And one of his editors later on was organizing his books, literally like books on a bookshelf. And he put all these books together on the bookshelf and said, these are all the books about physics. And then literally in a linear sense, he then categorized all these books that came after physics. And here's what he called them, metaphysics. Because it's just, these were the books that were after physics. But what's crazy is we have now turned metaphysics itself into a discipline to where physics is, would be in the science department at a university system, but metaphysics would be in the philosophy department. Because if you just look up the definition of metaphysics, that's simply what doesn't change. It's the concept of being or identity or essence, like where did this all come from? It's, it's asking philosophical questions. And you say, Jason, why in the world are we talking about physics at church? Here's why. It's amazing to me. Jesus, watch this, was a physical human being, right? The Bible says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus lived. As Acts 17 says, it's in him that we move and live and have our being. So Jesus was physical. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. But then Jesus says this, but after me will come one who's not physical. He's metaphysical. Let me say it in a term that might be more helpful. Jesus lived in the natural. He put on flesh. But he said, one that's going to come after me is supernatural. He's beyond natural. He is metaphysical. And here's the connection. You and I can never obey Jesus in this physical world without the power from a metaphysical one. We can never obey Jesus, the commandments of Jesus here, now in this body made of flesh without a supernatural power from another world. And so Jesus was meta before meta was cool. And you may have seen, you know, superhero movies talk about meta humans and how they have this power, this thing. And, you know, whether it's they came in contact with some, you know, nuclear reactive goo or something, you know what I mean? But it's the concept of they have the ability to do something that a natural human being doesn't have. And long before Marvel Comics in DC, Jesus was already talking about meta humans. You see what I'm getting at? 
And so here's what's crazy. We live in a world today where a lot of people would say, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And the concept of being spiritual is basically I burn incense, I smoke weed, and I live however I want. (laughs) Right? Can we be honest? And why are they doing that? Why do... Why do so many of us, watch this, want some kind of physical substance to release us mentally, emotionally from this physical world that we are bound by? Because we're looking for something beyond the physical. We're looking for something metaphysical. We're looking for some kind of utopia. We're looking for something, and whatever it is, out there. Because we all know the physical is not enough. It's not enough in your marriage either, is it? That was funny to some, yeah. It's good. Remember that, teenagers? The physical's not enough. Why? Because we were born for this metaphysical connection. We were born for God. And so there's all these people that are yearning for something beyond them. And here's Jesus saying, you can have it because it's not something that you try to get to. It's something that comes to you. And it's not something that comes to you. It's someone that comes to you. The person of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Christianity, watch this, is more than just a religion in that we have a relationship with God who empowers us to obey his commandments. We have a relationship with the person who empowers us to obey his commandments. See, again, like I said, what sets Christianity apart is not that we don't have rules. We are a religion. We do have commandments. We do have right and wrong. We do have things that God commanded us to do. This is why one of my big pet peeves is when people say, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian, and they use that as a way to do less than what God commanded. As if the Spirit of God would ever lead you to do less than what the Word of God says. Like, I don't get it. And my favorite one to point out was when people were like, hey, do you tithe? No, I'm New Testament Christian. And by that, what they mean is, I do less. Yeah, because that's what the Spirit would lead you to do. When people now say, I'm a New Testament Christian, my response back to them is, oh, sweet, you do more than 10? And their eyes go, that's what that means. I mean, they don't really do that, but you can see it, you know what I mean? They're like, damn, I knew I shouldn't have talked to a pastor. But here's what I'm saying. The Spirit of God empowers you to obey the commands. That's what makes Christianity different. It's not that we don't have commands. We just have a power that's available to us in the person of the Holy Spirit because of the work of the Son of God that now you can have a relationship with to empower you to obey the commands of God. So Christianity isn't just a religion. It's also a relationship. Are you with me? Now, there's another with that he says. It's like it gets better. The first one was meta, means after, right? The Holy Spirit came after. He's outside of this physical world. The second with is the Greek word para. It means next to. It's a preposition of association. And so the concept of a preposition of association, have you ever seen like a law firm that says such and such associates? And when you see the word associates, you know there's more than what? There's more than one. It's not associate, it's associates, right? There's multiple lawyers or people working together in that firm or whatever it is. And the concept of having an associate is like having a friend. One of the best ways I can describe this is, especially those of you that served in the military, 
you know, there's a phrase, no man, no woman left behind. Because invariably in battle, you know, someone may get injured and then they don't have the, the ability to walk out on their own. And so a real warrior goes back and helps their friend. They are an associate to their friend. Put their arm around them. Hey, put your arm on my shoulder. I'm gonna help you out of here. Another way to think about it is those of you that played on a sports team before. I'll never forget when I was in middle school and I injured my ankle. And my head coach very lovingly came up to me and said, son, are you hurt or are you injured? And I was like, is there a difference? <laughs> yeah, hurt means you can still play. Injured means get out of here. Right? So I was tough and I was like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a hurt coach. Got this. So I didn't need an associate at the time to help me off the field. And so this with that Jesus says, now watch this. He says, the spirit of truth who dwells with you now, this was pre-cross, but then he says this, and will be in you. So he dwells with you. He's an associate right now, which means he's outside of you, but he will be in you. Now that word there, in, the Greek word en, it literally means inside. It's a preposition of location. So watch this. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying right now, pre-cross, with those disciples, the Holy Spirit was with them. He was para. He was beside them, helping them. But once Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for the penalty of our sin and rose again, now the presence of God couldn't, didn't just have to be on the outside, it can be on the inside. Because now the debt has been paid and now God can dwell within us in a way that he never could have before. Because God can't dwell where there is sin. So once that had been taken care of, Jesus is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is about to change locations. He is going from beside you to inside you. Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this one down. Holy Spirit is not just a person beside us, but inside us. Not just beside us. Watch this. He's not just an associate anymore. He is now inside. And this is why this is good news. That's why we call the gospel good news. See, when someone is my associate, they can offer me help, but I still have to provide something, right? Unless I'm unconscious, which those of you who've ever been a lifeguard, you had to save some, you know it's actually to your benefit if they are unconscious. Because if they're conscious, normally they're gonna fight you from saving them. We are so dumb as humans. I'm here to save you. Well, let me stop you by hurting you. See, if I am an associate on the outside, I still have to decide within my will that I want help. I still have to muster up something as much as I can, even though you may be lifting a lot, to decide we're gonna get off this field. See, having an associate is good. Watch this. But having power inside is better. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just outside of us now helping us. Because of Jesus, he's inside enabling us. See, having the Holy Spirit inside me now, watch this. He can change my will. He can change the very thing that was holding me back from even wanting help. Because he's not an associate outside where I still have to decide if we're gonna go this way. He is God inside calling the shots and enabling me to go this way. And this is why, and please hear me, this is why another one of my pet peeves is when people pray in their prayers, God be with us. And now listen to me, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not saying that you're a bad Christian. 
If your grandma taught you that or your Sunday school teacher taught you that, I'm not saying that it's all bad, but here's what I'm saying. I don't ever want you to say it again. Here's why. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you just prayed for him to go back outside. You just said, hey God, I want you to be my associate today. Will you be on the outside of me? And you gotta wonder, God up in heaven, I mean, he already knew you would ask it, so he probably wouldn't scratch his head when, he did, when you did ask it. He's saying, I'm not gonna answer that one because that's dumb. You have me inside of you. Why would you want me back on the outside of you being your associate when I can be inside of you empowering you to do the very thing that you're asking me to do? You see what I'm saying? So a better prayer is this, God, I know you're in me. And this is hard, and I'm scared about it. Would you empower me to do it? You know how many times I prayed, God, I don't want to love my wife right now, but you better change my heart. I mean, she has to pray way more than me. Let's make no mistakes. But you know what I'm saying? This is when it changes your prayer life. And this is when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. You know, when you get into your 40s, you start referring to yourself by decades. You know, the first two years of your life, they refer to you by months. After two years, it's just weird parents, all right? Then we go from months to years. When we get to our 40s, we go to decades. So in my late 20s, I'll never forget, I started learning more about the person of the Holy Spirit. I started listening to messages, and, and honestly, I started reading my Bible. Not that I wasn't reading it before, but I started reading it different. And I read verses like this. And I've said this before, if you've been around here, I got frustrated and mad. If there was like a 1-800 hotline I could call for Christianity, I would have called it. And here's why I got mad. I felt cheated that for about 15 years of my life with Christ, no one explained to me that God didn't want me to obey him without him. No one explained to me that I had the power of the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and all I had to do was ask him to enable me to obey him, and he would do it. And here I was trying to obey him without him and being frustrated all the time. And then I started praying which is what my prayer is every time before I come out here on stage and when I'm on stage. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now here's what that means. It doesn't mean, watch this, it doesn't mean that he's outside and he needs to get in because if I'm in Christ, he's already in. But what that means is this, he's inside of me and now he has an unexhaustible reservoir of grace to pour out on my broken flesh if I'll just ask him. He's in me so fill me. And this is why I don't believe theologically that you're saved and then later on you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. One, because how in the world were you saved without the Holy Spirit? I.e., you weren't. You were saved because he opened your eyes to see. He regenerated you. You trusted Jesus in faith. But then people believe I get baptized later on. Listen, I'm not talking bad about you. If you believe this, here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the reason why I don't believe that is because I don't believe there's only two times that the Holy Spirit does something in my life. I believe he does it all the time. So a better prayer as opposed to saying baptize me in the Spirit is if you're saved, you're baptized. Fill me with the Spirit. I gotta walk into this meeting and I don't like these people. But I'm commanded to love my enemy. Would you enable me to love my enemy right now? You commanded me to do this, but I can't do it. And God's like, no, duh, I've been trying to tell you. I don't know if God sounds redneck. I'm just saying. But you see what I'm saying? And this is why my pet peeve is about the prayer is, no wonder we don't have power in our lives because our prayers make no sense. God's like, I'm in you. I'm not your associate. I'm everything. I'm not here to walk alongside of you. I am here to empower you to walk. Which is why that whole footsteps in the sand thing is just a weird thing. I mean, it's nice and it makes us feel good. Oh, there's two steps. There's two, there's one. And then, oh, that was the time that I carried you. As if there was a time when he wasn't carrying me. 
You see what I'm saying? There's only one set of footprints in the sand and they're mine, empowered by him. Because he's not on the outside walking with me, he's inside empowering me to be able to walk. Are y'all with me? And here's what I'm saying. It would change our walk with him if we understood the power to which is available to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus says next. Verse 18, in case you didn't believe me or him. I will not leave you as orphans. <laughs> I just really, This is like a great explanation of the crazy footprints in the sand thing. Why well, I don't believe it's too. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He would say, I won't come next to you. I already did that. In my 33 years on earth, now I'm gonna come in you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Also, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How does he manifest himself to us? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is where, again, and, and I understand there's a lot of people who don't like talking about the Holy Spirit. They get a little nervous when we talk about this Holy Spirit because all they ever think about is signs and wonders. Now hear me, I do still believe that God performs signs and wonders. I do not believe they ended. While at the same time, I believe that the primary purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in you is not miracles of physical healing, but miracles of obedience. We call that fruit of the Spirit. Isn't it amazing that whenever we talk about the Spirit, we only think about the gifts of the Spirit? And physical healings, those are one set of gifts. This is why Paul had to write several chapters in the book of Corinthians about it. He was like, listen, y'all keep focusing on miracles and I'm trying to get you to see that the Holy Spirit empowers you to fruit. And that main fruit is love. Isn't that amazing how we want to focus on, watch this, the miraculous of the metaphysical breaking into the physical and healing something. I'm not saying that doesn't happen and I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate it. But what I am saying is the primary purpose of the metaphysical breaking into the physical, the Holy Spirit indwelling you is not just for physical miracles, but supernatural miracles to enable you to obey. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you love me, you'll perform miracles. See, Jesus comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of enabling us to obey him. And he comes to us, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, I will manifest myself to him. So watch this. There's a lot of times, and even in my own life, where I feel like God is not manifesting himself to me. See, the word manifest just means to make known. Now that can be to reveal in a physical sense, which is why we have, partly why we have a book in our Bible called the book of Revelation, not Revelations, they multiples, they're one. Just hitting all the pet peeves today, all right? But do you understand that the primary purpose of that book is not to reveal to you the events at the end? The primary purpose of that book you read about in the first eight verses of chapter one. When the gospel writer John wrote, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come. See, the primary purpose of manifestation is not just in a physical sense when he returns. Yes, that will happen, but it's in a metaphysical sense now where the Holy Spirit can make known to you, reveal to you the truth. And here's what's amazing. If you have a desire to obey the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, then Jesus says, I will make known to you truths that you didn't know. 
And so if there's a season in your life and it happens to all of us where you're like, man, I just can't see. I don't, we say it like this, God, I want to know your will. I think the spirit of God would say, well, you would know his will if you were walking in his ways. You would know his will. He would manifest himself to you if you were obeying his commandments. Now, don't hear what I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to connect them. And look at what Judas says, just to prove this a little further. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, just in case you're wondering, there's two Judases, two withs, two Judases, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? See, Judas can only think in a physical sense. Judas is a material girl living in a material world. All he can think of... <laughs> It just comes to me. All right, I can't say that was the Holy Spirit. All he can think of is like, hey, Jesus, you came physically. I can see you, but so can Pilate. So can the Jewish priest. They can also, how are you going to manifest yourself in a way where only we can see you and they can't see you? So you see how he's talking metaphysical here? After physical? And look at what Jesus' answer is. It's so telling. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And this is when Judas is like, I don't feel like an answer. But here's what he just did. He connected manifesting to his word. You love me, you keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. That's Jesus' rubber stamp saying, you don't like it? Take it up with big man. It ain't me. These are the Father's words. And this is why I was stressing at the beginning. Christianity is a religion, people. It has rules. It has beliefs. If you do not believe in the Trinity, Jesus is the second person who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's always been God and he became man lived a sinless, perfect life, died a substitutionary, atoning death in our place, rose again, he's in heaven, now empowers us by the Holy Spirit, gave us his word. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. This is a religion. And if you are a Christian, then you are going to obey his words. You're gonna live your marriage the way he says to live marriage. You're gonna live your life. You're gonna use your money. You're gonna use your talents. You're gonna use your gifts in the way he says to use it because this is a religion. Also, though, it's empowered by a relationship. It's empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you couldn't do, which was obey. But now you can't because Jesus went to the cross. And when he rose again, he gave us another helper. And I love how he says it, on that day you'll know. Well, what day is that? You know, a lot of times when the Bible refers to that day or the day of the Lord, it's referring to the physical return of Jesus. And I do think, in one sense, that's what he's meaning. On that day, you'll know. But I think there was another day he had in mind too. And I think it was the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover celebration. We read about it in Acts chapter 2 where in Acts chapter one, Jesus told them after he resurrected, stay here and wait for the power to come. Because you can't go out there and obey my command to make disciples without the power. And the power is gonna come in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know. And on that day, you'll know that I'm in him and he's in me and we are in the Father and now we are in you. And how did they know? I think one of the coolest ways, and I think we miss this a lot of times. In fact, before I read this, I missed this in Acts chapter two. Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people got saved. Peter. Now, a lot of people have venerated him now, made him the first pope. I don't think that's the point. Peter, the dude that denied Jesus. The last time Peter spoke publicly, he said, I don't know Jesus. 
And now he's standing up publicly saying, you better know Jesus. Peter, the dude that when, when Jesus was to be betrayed, spoke out and took out his knife and cut off a dude's ear and Jesus was like, damn, I'm at Peter. Oh, hush. The same Peter that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, who at the transfiguration, when Jesus goes up and he's transfigured and Moses and Elijah there thinks, this is a great time for me to say something. Oh, it's good that we're with you. Peter, that dude who had foot and mouth disease, you know, put his foot in his mouth all the time. That guy. You know why I think, and this is why I don't put a lot of credence about Peter as the first pope. You want to know why God chose Peter? Because he was the least likely guy to be the guy. He was the least likely. And don't you know, in Acts 2, on Pentecost, Peter, the disciples were like, sure, you sure we should let Peter go out there? <laughs> Y'all know what happened last time. But before they could make a vote, which is what Baptists do, before they could make a committee and vote, Peter steps up there and starts preaching. And they're like, oh no. Woo. Y'all be ready to run. And then 3,000 people get saved. And then the disciples are like, now we know. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way Peter would have been able to do that. This is why I joke all the time. In the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey and he's been doing it every Sunday in this church since. <laughs> this is why I pray backstage, Father, fill me with your spirit. This is why I pray before every message, open our eyes because we can't open them. Church, listen to me. Jesus didn't leave you as an orphan. And, and sadly, a lot of you have been walking around like Christian orphans. Failing to understand that God wants to empower you to obey him. He never asked you to do anything for him. He wants to do it for you and in you. Not as your associate, not next to you, but in you, empowering you to do what you could never have done without him. That's why Jesus said, I'm gonna give you another helper. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Not only the truth that is Jesus. His words are truth. Not only the commandments you have given us to obey because you love us and you want joy for us. But God, you have enabled us to do what we could have never done without you. We could have never saved ourselves, and Jesus did that. And we could have never obeyed you. And now because of Jesus, we can have the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. And so God, right now I pray for those who have never trusted Jesus. If they've never trusted Jesus, they don't know the truth and they can't walk in the truth because they don't have the ability to do it. And so God, right now I pray that you would open their eyes so that they can receive. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, but you feel like today God has opened your eyes to see the truth and that is the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating you and now you can respond in faith and be saved. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. God put on flesh and dwelt among us and lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could trade it for my sinful life. So put my sin on him and I receive by grace his righteousness. Would you save me? Forgive me. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable me to walk in truth. 
No one looking around or talking as we close. If you just prayed to trust Jesus for the first time and you're in one of our physical locations, we wanna know about that. So we just simply lift up your hand so we can see that. Thank you. We got men and women who are gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, I think there's maybe two categories of us. There's some of us that we don't even want to obey. We would say that we're saved, but we want to walk in our own ways. There's not even a desire. But if the Holy Spirit has convicted you today, then very simply you can say, Father, would you give me the desire? Would you empower me through the Holy Spirit to want to obey? But then there's a third group that I think that you maybe trusted Jesus and you want to obey. But if you're anything like me in my early life with God, I just didn't know what was available to me. And today, again, you don't get saved again, but you can ask the Holy Spirit who is in you to fill you, to overcome your resistance to the commands of God to help you, to empower you to obey God. Because you do love Jesus and you want to obey his commandments. And so all you have to say is, Father, fill me with the Spirit, empower me to obey. Father, thank you that in Christ now you answer these requests. God, there is no religion on planet Earth like Christianity. Because you didn't just give us commands, God. You gave us grace purchased by Christ on the cross that now comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey you. This is why we say, finish the work that you started in us. God, you gotta do it. So would you do it now by the power of the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen.